0: Hey day, everyone, and welcome to The Particular Baptist Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vincent. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, you can do so by hitting that subscribe button below and hitting the bell to be notified of any new videos that come out. Today, we have a special guest with us, uh, Pastor Jim Butler, coming all the way from Chilliwack, British Columbia in Canada pastor of Free Grace Baptist Church. Pastor Butler, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, my understanding is that you're from originally from the California area, um, having close association with Brother Barcelos. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I was brought up in Long Beach, California. Uh, was not a believer. Did four years in the U.S. Air Force. After I got out, we moved to Palmdale, where my wife's parents lived. And there, through the influence of her brother, the Lord saved both my wife and me about the same time. Uh, We had gone to his church for a little while, met Richard Barcelos. He had been a seminary student at the Masters and had moved to Palmdale, was looking to plant a church there. So probably, as I said, about six months into our Christianity, we entered into a good confessional Reformed Baptist situation. So he's been a long time friend and mentor,
0: and a brother that I esteem very highly. Amen. And what brought you up to Canada?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> um, I had become an elder in the church that Pastor Barcelos was at. It was at that time, Palmdale Reformed Baptist Church. So I think in 1996, I became an elder. Hmm. And 19 toward the end of 1996, Pastor Barcelos said, do you want to preach in Chilliwack? They were a small group trying to get a Reformed Baptist church started and the church in Grand Rapids was sort of overseeing and helping them and providing pulpit supply. So, of course, when he said that, I, as your typical American said, what's a Chilliwack? (laughs) Um, He said it's in British Columbia. So I came up, I preached that was in January of 97, had a nice time, uh, went back home and then we had an elders meeting that week. And the people that were here in Chilliwack had contacted the church in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Said that they liked me and were interested in me perhaps coming back. So I did. And to make a long story short, we moved up here in June of 97. My wife, myself, our five children. And then we started the, the church, or I started pastoring or preaching in June. And then in January of 90, 1998, the church formally constituted and called me to pastor. So I have been here since. So June of this year will be 27 years.
0: Wow. Wow. That's great. And that the church in Grand Rapids does seem to be kind of the the Mecca of Reformed Baptists. I I attended there for a couple of years and I have family that attends there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that they seem to, to be involved quite a bit. So are you a British, or I'm sorry, a Canadian citizen then from in there so long?
1: yes so obviously we're u.s citizens you do not have to revoke your u.s citizenship to obtain canadian citizenship so my wife and i have been citizens for the last few
0: years okay. yes. all right all right so our discussion today is around really around the work that you're doing there in canada um so i guess to start off the conversation what is Reformed baptist life in canada right now
1: <laughs> um, Well, I'm in a very small area. I'm not a big fish in a big pond. So I, you know, I don't know a lot about the entirety of the country, mm-hmm. though I've gotten a bit of a window into it a little bit more over COVID. Uh, COVID mm-hmm. was an interesting time. Most churches, many churches shut down, obviously, mm-hmm. with the mandates that we had here in Canada. Our church stayed open um so from that there was a chat group that arose basically all the pastors that had kept their churches open and it was a bit of a mixed bag and from that i entered into a smaller chat group of guys that seemed to be more inclined toward the 1689 and then from that we started another one that's even smaller basically just sort of weeding through you know who's near it, or who's full or strict subscription to the confession
0: mm-hmm. at
1: least from our vantage point here in western canada we've been able to sort of whittle that down a bit i would say there's a lot of calvinistic baptists in mm-hmm. canada mm-hmm. Uh, many of them of course would say they hold to the 1689 and, and obviously i i don't want to be you know, the, the debater and the arguer, but I think there's more to the 1689 than just Calvinism. I think that sometimes that's how it's how it's interpreted. Yep. But of course, we think covenant theology, regulative principle, all the sorts of emphases that we find in the confession. That's how we've gone sort of through this whittling process. Um, you know, it's a, it's a small country in terms of population, about 40 million people. Mm-hmm. There's a whole host of churches from you know every every walk of life, charismatic, Pentecostal, you know, uh Roman Catholic, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all that, lots of Baptists. And then Chilliwack is a unique community. It's a very Dutch community. Mm-hmm. Uh so just about every Dutch Reformed denomination is right here in Chilliwack. So nothing in my background in Southern California sort of prepared me for the work here. I did not know that I would be, you know, dealing with so much in terms of paedo-baptism, mm. um, hyper-Calvinism, various things that, that, you know, were a challenge, continue to be a challenge. But because of familiarity with, with those things now, it's become just kind of part of who we are. So typically if a person in a, one of the Reform, the Dutch Reformed churches become convinced of baptism, they, they most of the time find their way to us. So it is something of a, it's missionary in the sense of, you know, providing a good church for sheep that need to be fed, but also we do get people attending. They hear about us um, and they come and we've seen, you know, several converted as a result of that. So we're very thankful for, you know, the niche that we have here in in Chilliwack specifically. But yeah, in terms of Canada as a whole, mixed bag, um, I think a lot of churches in Ontario, which is of course on the eastern side of Canada, we're on the left coast. Um, they, they, yeah, more Calvinistic Baptists. More, um, there is, there is a couple of Reformed confessional Baptist churches. And then, of course, in the, in the French in French-speaking Canada, got, uh, Peron, you've got Raymond Perron, you've got Pascal Denault, you've got others like that. I, I don't. I mean, just by virtue of the fact that I'm pretty busy. I don't have a lot of contact with those brothers. Um, Isaac, whom you've had or you know Isaac, he's he's been a bit uh, more helpful—not more helpful, but helpful in terms of networking with some of those guys.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and I guess that that kind of leads into my next question. You know, we have you guys announced this Confessing the Faith conference that you are planning to—I think—to host at your church, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so, what's the purpose of this and can you give me some background, the listeners, some background on on this conference?
1: Sure. The background would be the Southern California Reformed Baptist Pastors Conference. So, Pastor Barcelos um, launched this conference. I want to say 2012, um, the first one. Doctor Renahan and Doctor Waldron were the speakers. I think there were 12 or 15 of us. It was in Vista, California. Uh, but that's been an annual conference, and basically, they take a chapter of the Confession of Faith each year get some high profile guys in to speak on that particular subject and it's a good time for you know in-depth study in the confession but as well camaraderie fellowship and that sort of thing so you know we've had no small share of troubles in our church uh, especially about the mid-2000s after some of the dust settled there you know things have been quiet Uh, We didn't see a lot of growth until probably when I say a lot of growth, we're not bursting at the seams here. We're, you know, we've got about 70 members, uh, probably 100 120 people attend on a Sunday morning. Our evening service is being better attended Wednesday nights being better attended. But um, so we're at a place now in our church life where we have a bit more stability. We have more finances. God has been very gracious to us in terms of provision and it just seemed you know especially with some of the talks with with fellows in western canada and this desire for an association it seemed like it was prudent to go ahead and launch this conference similar format one chapter per year high profile men so we've got dr renahan and dr barcelos coming for chapter one this april god willing next april i've already secured dr Dolzall and dr sam renahan so we're very encouraged about about those guys, um, so I think primarily, well, it's a it's a threefold purpose. One is to try to foster fellowship among the the confessional Reformed Baptists in Western Canada, so that we can get to know each other and hopefully move forward to an association. As well as I said, we have quite a Reformed community around us. We want to try to encourage fraternal, collegial relationships with them. And then just for anybody and everybody that wants to come, that wants a bit more, you know, in-depth study into the doctrine of Holy Scriptures this year, of course, of God and the Holy Trinity next year. And yeah, just a a desire to be able to serve brethren. There's no cost for the um, conference. We did secure 50 copies of Chad Van Dixhorn's uh, Confessing the Faith, as I said on another interview. We didn't steal the title from him. It just sort of worked (laughs) out that way. Um, but yeah, just trying to, you know, increase the vision and try to do some things in that direction. And I'm very blessed. We have a couple of businessmen in our church that have really taken the bull by the horns. So I mentioned that our annual general meeting last night, if it was up to me, we'd probably have three or five people at our conference. But with these fellows and their you know, um, and one of the, one of the men's wives, they're really, you know, visionary, lots of wisdom. We have a good website. We've already got about 140, 150 registrants. We're trying to feed 160 people that night. We've had to change the venue. So our our building does not have that capacity. So we're using the Free Reform Church here in Chilliwack. So yeah, so we're really encouraged about it. There's a, a great, great deal of excitement about it. And I'm hoping that it will establish, yeah, just an annual pattern where we can serve and where we can foster that kind of communion.
0: Yeah, and and that's interesting that you you mentioned that there is that Reformed Dutch presence there. And I, I wonder sometimes, especially in Reformed Baptist circles, there might seem to be a tribalism yeah. that is associated with that um, and we're really not about that. Even the early particular Baptists weren't about that. They wanted to identify with their like-minded brethren and fellowship with them, while noting those real and important differences that needed to be dealt with. But seeing other people as brothers, so
1: absolutely. And and that's you know one of the one of the emphases here is you know we agree on so much. As I I sent out a, an invitation inviting various churches, and I said you know. I I doubt you're gonna be surprised at the content or the subject matter. I mean, there's so much that binds us together. And in another sort of a podcast or interview that we did, I said, you know, we're all gonna be dead or at least I will be by the time we get to the controversial stuff. So, you know, baptism (coughs) will have to be dealt with by our grandchildren. We'll be long in the presence of Emmanuel. so, So I don't really worry about that. But yeah, we do have so much that binds us together and the response thus far from at least three of the uh, free Reformed churches has been very positive uh pastor here in chilliwack as i said they're hosting or they're, they're the venue but he and i have a good good friendship good relationship free reformed in abbotsford the pastor there has already expressed a desire to attend free reformed in langley has said they're going to put it in their church bulletin and encourage their members to attend so you know, I think down the road, we'd like to secure, as I said, high profile men, but perhaps somebody from Puritan Reform Theological Seminary in the future um, just to, yeah, just to, you know, we're in this together to use a, a worn out slogan from the COVID era and just to, to 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 encourage those relationships. I think it's very important. And, and you know, with that in mind, we we specifically you know, asked Drs. Renahan and Barcelos to deal with issues that I think are, are pertinent. And so we've sort of formulated or scheduled a conference around, I don't want to say the keynote speech or the keynote talk is on the Friday evening, but after dinner, the 7 p.m. session, Dr. Renahan will speak and basically showing the solidarity among the Reformed Confessions. So we're really trying to promote that you know, the, of course, the Dutch reform used the three forms of unity. Yep. The you know, and Presbyterians with the Westminster, the Independents with the Savoy, and then us us Baptists with our Second London. There's so much similarity and so much that does bind us together. It really does seem to be prudent to go to go in this direction.
0: Amen. Amen. Now, kind of going back to my first question, you know, I asked about Reformed Baptist life, but another question that comes to mind is, what's the general reception? culturally, at least in British Columbia, to Christianity in general? is it- uh,
1: It's, I think, you know, and I'm, again, my perspective is limited. I certainly don't want to get into politics. I would shock some of your listeners, but uh, yeah, I think an increased paganism, uh, an increased rejection of Christianity, mm. you know, the transgender craze, the sexual perversion, abortion, You've probably seen in the news Canada is very growing increasingly more liberal in terms of what's called made medical assistance in dying. Mm. You've got 40 million people in a country that is stocked with natural resources and they want to weed out, you know, the elderly, the infirm and 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 also they're talking about, you know, medical assistance in dying for mentally ill persons. I mean, depression now you can take their pill and and sort of check out and then Yeah, so I think in general, an increasing secularism, our prime minister is certainly Mm. anti-Christian, anti-God, Bible, you know, we're dealing or having to contend a lot with censorship. They want to, you know, police the internet now. They want to prosecute you for things that have been said and are posted on the internet. They want to even set it up so that if somebody suspects that you may possibly post-hateful content you could be arrested so Mm -hmm. all of that creates a great amount of pressure you know in preaching scripture during covid you know there were times my wife and i like to play board games and i'd always have this idea that federal agents were going to come busting through my front door you know we've listened to a couple of your sermons that's it off to the gulag with you so so i think there's that Chilliwack is interesting as well we are in what's called the bible belt here in, in british columbia Lots of churches, as I said, a heavy Dutch Reformed influence. But just in my time, you know, 20, 26 and a half years, I've seen a lot of changes. I saw a lot more sort of common grace, a lot more sort of Reformed influence on even Chilliwack itself, where that's not the case anymore. You know, our our school board, for instance, the public school board, it's very much imbalanced in terms of just a, a little bit of Christian witness, where I think even... 20, 25 years ago it would have been the other way so increasing secularism increasing perversion you know just the, again the same sorts of things that I think you find in blue states in America just think in terms of Canada as being a blue country you know Alberta is the next province over they've got you know it's a bit more stable it's a bit better but even there you know we're we're still we're still challenged in a whole host of ways
0: mm. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Kind of getting back to the uh, associational discussion. So you mentioned that there's a desire to start an association, um, I guess, a Reformed Baptist Association. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you see this as helping um, RBs in Canada?
1: Well, for the ones in Western Canada, so I had mentioned that the population is relatively small, it, it is 40 million, but the country is massive, it's huge, it's, it's an, an enormous piece of property. So it, you know, based on past experience in ARBCA, I asked the question, at least in my own mind, is a national association a bit ambitious? in other words something that happens you know two thousand miles away and many years ago that you know the bearing that it has on the association as a whole it just does seem at least in my mind to be a bit ambitious and i think the other guys are are sort of in in agreement there so it's not that we want to exclude people in eastern canada it's just that you know you got to grow where you're planted and so the guys in western canada we, as I said, we've been in talks and, and, you know, functionally, we're not looking to do everything. I think when it all is boiled down, we have a threefold aim in terms of associationalism here in Western Canada. And the first would be, and this isn't in an, in an order of priority, it's just, you know, taxes numbered. I think first would be church planting. So we have, by God's grace, been able to plant two churches, one west of us. In Surrey, British Columbia, Pastor Michael Kirkpatrick, and then east of us, about four hours, in Armstrong, British Columbia, that's Pastor Ryan Maljars. We're we're actually assisting a church plant in northern Ontario. There's some familial connections as to why you know we're we're kind of broadening our base there. But um, so church planting, I think that you know if one of the churches in association is ready to go on that. I think that's a time when churches should cooperate financially. Uh, we've been blessed with some connection in the states that when we have planted churches, we're able to reach out to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and churches that we know there, and they have provided financial contribution, which has been ex- you know, exceedingly helpful. But it'd be nice to be able to just keep that local in terms of the churches that we associate with here in Western Canada. And then a second purpose, much like that, would be missions. Uh, again, yep. we're we're helping a church in elder at Kenya, not with getting established, but increasing their, their helping their building project and that sort of thing. So we've we've reached out to churches in the U.S. and again, thankfully and happily, they've helped out. But that would be another short sort of shared expense, uh, uh, shared venture in terms of missions. And you know, ideally, if we identify one of the churches, identify a man that's you know fit and qualified. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5 guy, then we can in concert send that man out to to do the work of gospel missions. And then <clears throat> excuse me, the third would be ministerial training or theological education. So so presently if somebody were to move to Canada or call me as they have in the past some, you know people from outside North America, we're going to reload at, locate to Canada, what's a good seminary? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know what a good seminary is. I mean, there's some that aren't as bad as others, some that are decent, but there's no confessional sort of Reformed Baptist uh, ministerial education program. So we are in talks with Dr. Renahan and Dr. Barcelos about sort of an IRBS Canada, um, you know, international Reformed Baptist seminary. I'd like to think would include Canada. So, so I think they're encouraged about that. Uh, the the pastors that are looking. To, to perhaps associate. We've met a couple of times via Zoom and last month or the month before, uh, Doctors Barcelos and Renahan joined us on that. So we were able to pick their brains, ask them questions, more so about association at that, at that meeting. But certainly we want to see some collective <coughs> going forward in terms of ministerial education. I mean, we, we're committed to the confession, we're committed to our theology and our ecclesiology, So we need men fit, trained, and ready to go when it comes to confessional Reformed Baptist churches.
0: Now, how are you guys? You know, there was that whole, the whole ARBCA situation uh, a number of years ago. Um, What are you guys doing to kind of, I guess, prevent another ARBCA blow up again with this association?
1: Yeah, I don't know that we're at the point yet where we're preventing that. We're we're still. I would suggest that we're at a we're at an almost informal stage of association. Yep. Uh, it's loose right now. Guys are asking questions, and that's good. And so we're talking through things um, with that kind of thing in our minds, or at least I do, um, because our church, of course, was part of Arbca. I don't. None of these other churches that we're in talks with were. Um, the Surrey Church, our church plant, Mike, their church was on their way to membership in Arbca when, you know, 2019 is when we withdrew from Arbca, so that affected them. Ryan was a member of our church at the time, so they've had a little bit of exposure to the Arbca sorts of uh, sort of goings-on. Uh, but as far as Arbca, you know, there were two big controversies that we saw when, you know, our church was a participant in Arbca, or a member church in Arbca. Certainly the two thousand you know, the debacle with, you know, the, the ethical issues that came out um, and the, the, the things that had to be dealt with as an association. But, but prior to that, and this is one of the reasons why I would argue for associationalism, is the impassibility debate. You know, that took off, I think in 2014, my memory with dates and, and that is not too great, but I know there's various interpretations of the, of the impassibility debate that went on in ARPCA, um, for me, it was a positive. It was a win-win. It was a, a, not win-win because I was on the side that that um, was right. I don't want to <laughs> sound too offensive here, but I can already see the blog <laughs> post great. coming from a result of this or Twitter at JPP, uh, JPB66. But uh, <laughs> it was a win-win in that, you know, I, I think the without body parts or passions clause in chapter two wasn't, I know I had never investigated it. And as I sort of surveyed the scene, it didn't look a lot lot like my fellows had thoroughly investigated it either. Certainly had the big guns. You know, Dr. Renahan had been well-versed in these things. Dr. Dole's all, of course. But as far as I was concerned, the ARCA impassibility debate was wonderful. It was, uh, you know, a question concerning the interpretation of the confession. Let's study this. Let's look at not only the confession, but the Bible, of course. Yep. And then let's look at historical theology and see what, you know, what we can glean, what we can learn, how we perhaps have fallen short, where we need to shore up loose ends. And I got to say, for me, privately, it was a, a a blessing. I, you know, I pretty much, whenever I have extra time to do extra reading, it's all, you know, theology proper and Christology. I I, I don't really want to read anything else. I do. <laughs> but uh you know, so, so that privately, but I think practically in terms of ARCA, you know, associations or denominations fight or argue or dispute or debate about, about, a lot, about a lot of things that in the grand scheme of things are pretty insignificant. I mean, theology proper is the bread and butter of our, of our Christian religion. If we're wrong on God, if we're wrong on Christology, we're, you know, we've, we've missed the boat. So if ever there was a time or a doctrine or an issue to debate or dispute or to argue or to object on, it's on who is God? What is God? What does God do? How does he, you know, how does he relate to creation? So, so in, in an association, you'd like to think that would be the sorts of subject matters that, that would occupy the people involved in getting those things right. Seems to be the priority. So, you know, for me, looking back, were there things that we could have done differently? Sure. Were there things that we could have done better? Possibly. Absolutely. But what was the net effect? The net effect is God is without passions. The doctrine of divine impassibility, it's not, you know, some throwaway truth. It is something that we need with reference to our gracious and glorious God. So, So I I would suggest that that has played at least into my mind as to one of the reasons why you do need an association so that we do maintain fidelity to our documents, uh, which I think are faithful to scripture as the authoritative rule of all matters of faith and practice.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's that's very helpful because even though we don't see an association as an authoritative body. We it is a helpful way to bounce things off of each other and keep each other accountable at the local church level, yeah. Uh, in in kind of a formalized sense, um, yeah. Um, I,
1: I, another another practical. So I I um, I was thinking through this after looking at your outline. So the the argument I'm, I've got you know several thoughts on why associations, but uh, in terms of still I think we're in the practical arena. You know, with ARBCA, practically the Doctrine of Divine Impassibility debate was very helpful and, and really, really excellent. And then practically as well, in 2005, I mentioned earlier, we had run into some difficulties in our church. And it came to um, a, a stalemate in terms of the parties involved. And we invoked, you know, our confession, chapter 26, paragraph 16. Just want to make sure I'm uh, 15, rather. Um 15 or 16. Sorry, Dr. Renahan and Barcellus are rolling their <laughs> eyes right now. Uh, but but we invoked that clause, and we had an advisory council come in. We had three pastors from Washington State. That's, you know, three hours. Uh, Seattle's about three hours from Chilliwack, just to give you a bit of geographical grounding. So three men came in. They listened to the parties, you know, each one give their particular Side in terms of the, the controversy or the difficulty that had arisen, they deliberated, they formulated a the response, and they gave that. It wasn't authoritative; they weren't, you know, the the bishops speaking ex cathedra to us and how we must toe the line. But as the confession suggests, churches holding communion together, giving ecclesiastical uh, uh, ecclesiastical advice in matters of controversy or debate or difficulty that obtains in the life of the church. So it was a, it was a great help to, uh, to me as a pastor, it was a great help. I hope to the, you know, other parties that were involved. Um, And I, it was, it was there again, a win-win. I, I don't, I don't regret that one bit. So practically my exposure to associationalism has, has been good. I mean, Mm. Not perfect, but I don't look for perfect. I look for good or not bad, even. Right. That's <laughs> sometimes as good as it gets, right? Yeah. Not bad is not bad.
0: As good as it gets with, with fallible men, right? That's, that's right.
1: So You're always going to have problems with fallible men. That's yep. that's for sure. Man. Yeah.
0: Now, you, you touched on the confession a little bit. Um, so looking at our confessional writers, why do you think they saw it as important to associate with other churches?
1: Well, I think you touched on this earlier. The, the particular Baptists were not, you know, forging a new path. They wrote their confession with no desire to clog religion or, you know, they didn't have an itch to clog religion with new words. They didn't want to be the new kid on the block. They wanted to show solidarity and camaraderie and all those sorts of things that are helpful in terms of churchmanship. Um, so I think their, their genuine sort of desire for, for, you know, that kind of camaraderie among churches in general, but then among churches specifically that are, that are confessional or, or connected to the same confession of faith, you know, the New Testament, it's, it's filled with fellowship, it's filled with camaraderie, it's filled with those sorts of things that, that they wanted to promote and they wanted to, you know, encourage and they wanted to enjoy uh, among one another. And and certainly, you know, we're not islands unto ourselves. We are churches that do hold communion together. And why not lean on one another in times of need and and for assistance and for help? Fallible men need other fallible men at certain key times to help them navigate through very difficult situations. It, it just seems intuitive to me that that's how you would pursue. And then you know, in the broader context, I think our particular Baptist brethren were, were committed to the Catholic faith, you know, the,
0: mm.
1: the Roman Catholic, but Catholic, yep. universal, this, this desire to, as far as we're able, include the people of God in the workings in the church of God, and so again, I think, it, you know, that, that's, in our, that's in our DNA as Reformed Baptists, and I think it's a good practical expression in the 21st century what our brothers who composed our document were trying you know attempting to do or promote
0: and you you kind of touched upon a little bit of the biblical data so you do see this associationalism maybe in an informal sense biblically where churches are helping one another paul is going around to other churches to assist with different issues that come up and then you even see um you know the gathering in jerusalem with is counsel to deal with these new issues regarding the law and the gospel that came up. So, we, you know, you do see these examples of some sort of associationalism in Scripture.
1: Yeah, as I was thinking through this, in terms of the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul mention a myriad of names in a lot of his letters. And he never stops to give any sort of biographical data, you know, he mentions a name and then gives you three lines on who this person was. I think the assumption is, is that those to whom he wrote knew those whom he cited. You have the example in the book of Colossians where the apostle says to, you know, send the letter to Colossae, send it to Laodicea. Take the letter that was written to Laodiceans and read it in Colossae. You've got the Apostle Peter, who refers to the writings of the Apostle Paul. So it doesn't feel like when you read, and I don't think feels the best word, but, you know, indulge me for a moment. It doesn't feel like there was this unfamiliarity or this strangeness among the churches that are being addressed in in the New Testament. And then, of course, the Acts 15 Council I think too much can be read into that passage. I think that you can overwork the, you know, what's going on in that Jerusalem council, but I think you can underwork it as well and get too little out of it. So so as you said, when the problem arises, Gentile inclusion and the covenant promises of the God of Israel, that, you know, that was an interesting sort of phenomena happening in the first century. The apostle Paul deals with that, you know, in some length and length, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, how do we kind of make heads or tails out of these Gentiles coming to Israel's God through, you know, Israel's Messiah? So when this comes to pass in Acts 15, the apostles and the elders, they get together. And I, I love what it says, you know, in 20, uh, chapter 15, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 15 in Acts, it says when the problem, uh, you know, the problem arises, the apostles and elders come together to consider this matter. And then the result was a letter to the affected churches, and in chapter tw- uh, 15, verse 28, it says, It seemed good. It's not the authoritative ex-cathedra proclamation, thou must always do what we tell you to do. Yep. But it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So, you know, if anything, it argues for a collective approach to the problems that affect the church Mm -hmm. with, you know, the combined wisdom of God's servants to search the scriptures, to consider theological implications, to calculate or formulate responses and answers, and to do so in a gracious and peaceful and, and loving, charitable way. So, again, it just seems to me that when you look at the New Testament documents, it's not this disconnected, you know, individualistic, atomistic sort of thing. It's, you know, we're in this together again, the the COVID slogan. And um, I think that that's positive and profitable. And for having been here for the amount of time that I have been without, you know, we don't have a, a big network. There's, you know, I was sent out by the church in Palmdale in 1997. Well, it's hard for them 1,200 miles away to kind of help me in some practical day-to-day sorts of things. So, you know, the 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 struggle was real, kind of at times feeling alone hmm. and disconnected. And so one of the things going forward, at least in the, the churches that we plant, I try to maintain, a, you know, accountability and connection with Pastor Kirkpatrick and Pastor Maljars. We do that through texting, obviously, but we try to get together, you know, I'd like to say weekly, but it's not. As much as we're able, we try to have a Zoom call together, how's, you know, what's going on in church, how, you know, anything we can pray for, those sorts of things, because I know what it's like to be a younger man in ministry that doesn't have that. And I'm not, this isn't a dig against, you know, my sending church. I You know, again, oh, yeah. the distance is difficult. Plus, they had no shortage of troubles as well that erupted after I left. It wasn't, I don't think, connected to me leaving or anything like that. But they, they, they went through their own challenges and their own hardships. So, so networking and camaraderie and relationship and communion and fellowship, I think those are key ingredients to keep men persevering in the Christian ministry. And to be a help and an encouragement to them when they've got people or persons to reach out to that are in similar situations. So again, win-win. Is it ever going to be perfect? No. I hope it's good, or you know that it's not bad, and that it will serve useful, uh, useful ends in terms of helping to promote those things I mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, and I think another thing that you mentioned earlier, part of this is to, you know, help raise up men. Right. In carrying on the next generation of work, because if a church does find themselves like like you were early on alone and feeling isolated and there is no camaraderie or no counsel given, um, it could spell trouble down the road if you leave that church or you retire and there's no one you know there to, to pick up the reins where you left off and maybe other men can come in and help guide that process.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, we're we're bound by the Great Commission, you know, go make disciples, baptize those disciples, and teach those disciples. So the two legs of the Great Commission, it's not just make the disciples, but you need to have places where you teach those disciples to observe all that Christ has commanded with that great assurance that He's with us even to the end of the age. So there's not only the 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 command of our of our commander the lord jesus christ but there's his example in matthew 9 he looked at you know the multitudes and they were like sheep having no shepherd he was moved with compassion when he saw that so what's the next step there he he says pray the lord of the harvest to raise up laborers and then he appoints his apostles i don't think that's accidental i think he's setting forth a pattern that you know, there's people out there that need not only to be saved, but they need to be, you know, taught and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, you know, if we take our confession seriously, we will be Calvinists, we will be classical theists, but we will also be robust churchmen. And this is certainly a concern that I've had for years. Is the, you know, I remember Pastor Barcelo saying this before, and, you know, it stuck with me. Churches aren't just preaching stations, you know, and especially in our generation, you can, you know, you can listen to the best preachers at any time, at any place. There's more to church life than, you know, great preaching. I think great preaching is necessary. I think the pulpit serves as one of the primary, you know, facilitators of the extension of Christ's kingdom and church on earth, but there's more to it in terms of the one another's, in terms of the, you know, I've often thought, you know, when a person you know gets into, you know, their celebrity preacher, they, they listen to them online all the time. That celebrity preacher isn't praying for you. If you break your leg and you end up in the emergency room, he's not going to visit you. So, uh, you know, there's something about church life that's valuable and precious so that if we uh, confess the Second London Confession, yes, classical theism, 100%. Yes, Calvinism, covenant, regulative principle of worship, but churchmanship and, and being able to see something that's strong and established and faithful, not just for this generation, but one of our desires and prayers is that this church will be here long, long after we're gone, that our grandsons are going to rise up and, and, you know, become pastors and, and labor in the word and doctrine. And we really want to plant more churches here in the Lower Mainland, throughout British Columbia, you know, as, as much as we're able to, to, you know, because we believe and you know, have often thought we've got the theological goods, in terms of our confession, but we've got the ecclesiastical goods as well. And again, not perfect. I, yep. you know, I'm not saying that everybody else and every other church is bad. I, I, you know, that that's the modern Twitter debate. You said, <laughs> I like apples on Twitter. Somebody's going to say, why do you hate oranges? That that <laughs> That's not the issue. And it's not a disenfranchisement of all those who aren't Second London Confessional Reformed Baptists. I, you know, you believe on the lord jesus christ you're justified freely by his grace praise god brother enjoy your church we'll meet together in emmanuel's land but if we're going to be doing church planting missions theological training i think it's incumbent upon us to find churches guys that that agree on more doctrine than less doctrine and so i think it's necessary to promote the theology but as well the ecclesiology of our confession
0: amen amen and as we, we kind of close out here, where can people find out about the conference um, as, you know, it's starting to get closer, maybe people want to attend, and what are some things that people can be praying for as the conference is coming up?
1: I'm going to have to just block out for a second to give you that link. Hang on. Yep, no worries. Okay, so the link for the web the website, is ba- it's just confessingthefaith.ca. So all lowercase and no spaces, confessingthefaith.ca. And that website has been very well constructed. It's got lots and lots of information. There's some videos that we did to sort of promote the conference. Uh, they're at the bottom of the homepage. There's a registration form. Um, so, so yeah. It, I, I can't imagine somebody would come away from the website scratching their heads. It's very informative. So, so I would suggest go there and just pray that God will bless it to the ends that we've tried to try, tried to promote. The gathering together of guys that are committed to our confession for mutual encouragement, edification as well. The, the broader reform community that you know, our free reform brethren, others might you know, stumble in and say, yeah, you guys aren't that whacked out. Um, And then that the people of God would come and be edified and encouraged with, you know, more study in the doctrine of Holy Scripture. So I think that that would be the way I would encourage persons to pray. And, you know, practically, we're going to try to feed a lot of people. We've got about 120 capacity at the Free Reform Church building that we're using. As I mentioned earlier, we've already got about 140 to 150 registrants. So we're going to probably have some overflow on the Friday night dinner, we'll host it at our church building, have it catered, you know, the logistical sorts of challenges. But as I said, we've got a great team, not a committee, but a great team (laughs) that is sort of, I just come and listen and hear all the kinds of stuff I never think about whenever I talk (laughs) to these brethren. So it's been very encouraging just to see the zeal and the energy that's been expended thus far. We've got brochures that have been printed. We're trying to disseminate to churches that are interested. Um, and then sort of in concert with that, uh, our, our tech and media guy, Wim, he rented a studio nearby in Chilliwack and we did some of those promotional videos for the mm-hmm. conference. As I said, those are available on, on the website and on our YouTube channel but he's also booked it for the 26th of April. So doctors Barcelos and Renahan are actually coming to Vancouver on the Wednesday night. So the 25th, they come to my house. So the conference starts on Friday, the 26th. I could be getting my dates wrong here. 24th is the Tuesday, 25th is the Wednesday, uh, I don't know. Anyways, somewhere in there. So, so Wim's already booked that studio for the Thursday, The that, that, that uh, Jim Renahan and Richard Barcelos are here. So we're gonna have them, we'll ask them some questions. And then Wim has also been collecting sort of Ask Free Grace Baptist Church questions, you know, different things. So in the future, we'll rent that studio again. And just as I said, we have a, a, a community here where some persons have heard about us, they may tune in, but they haven't really taken the step to come and visit yet. You know, some th- th- there's a lot of concerns or a lot of issues involved with you know some of these churches and loyalties and that sort of thing. So these ask questions are you know just helpful little dialogues to try to get that information out there. So,
0: Amen. Well, looking forward to seeing how it turns out and and seeing the Lord's work there. And I appreciate your time, Pastor Butler, today as promoting this and and talking about associationalism and, and our confession. Thank you for joining me today.
1: All right. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. All
0: right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. And Lord willing, we will be back next week. Take care.